amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. If you prefer real mornings... Shouldn't you have a real breakfast? At McDonald's, we get real about breakfast. That's why you can have a savory sausage biscuit with delicious hash browns for only $1.50. It's time to wake up breakfast. Single item at regular price. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Spring will be here soon, so if buying a new home is on your to-do list, right now is the time to call Quicken Loans. Learn about which mortgage options make sense for you and get a jump on your competition. With our exclusive Rate Shield approval, the low rate you lock today is protected for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. With a Rate Shield approval, if rates go up, your low rate stays locked. But if rates go down, you get that new, even lower rate. Either way, you win. Talk to us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com to take advantage. Here's another great reason to work with us. For a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Again, to lock in today's low mortgage interest rate and get the security of our exclusive rate shield approval, call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Sesame Ginger Glaze Chicken Signature Wrap. How would you like it? I'll take a... Sports announcer at home? Yeah, how'd you... We just know. My wife picks up the new signature wrap. It's got double the rotisserie-style chicken mixed with a sesame ginger glaze. She appears annoyed at me, but she shrugs it off. Those sweet and savory flavors are calling her name. She lifts the wrap, and she takes the bite! Incredible! And now she's closing the door on my... Subway, make it what you want. Limited time only at participating restaurants. Double meat based on average six-inch sub. I'm Little Teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle, and here is my spell. No, Dad, like this. When I get all steamed up, then I shout, tip me over and pour me out. 
This is WWE superstar Roman Reigns. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. The following program contains coarse language and adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Mr. Rick Robinson. He's the other half, Mr. Ordy Packard. And this is our once a fortnight uh, break from politics and into the weird, the unusual, and the unexplained, otherwise known as juxtaposition. And we are live right here on Caroline Radio, America's Podcast Network, and it's just a few minutes past the hour of 10 p.m. Eastern. Hope everybody's having a great Thursday night. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm still getting used to the new setup here, so give me just a second while I make sure my mouth is actually in front of the microphone, because the microphone's on the opposite side of what I'm used to, so I keep leaning the wrong way. All right, so anyway, we are live. Hope everybody's, having, again, having a great Thursday night. And uh, again, we have Mr. Ordy Packard with us this evening. Good evening, sir. How are you? Yeah, on the wild card line, we got JC. JC, <laughs> how you doing, Rick? I'm doing all right. Actually, you know, I, one of these days I'm going to put together a legit intro for this show, and I'm actually going to splice in some of that stuff just for fun, because I know where to find it. <laughs> I've been looking for it. I have a few pieces. Right. I yeah, yeah, it was like, I mean, I I had a really hard time finding the correct one, but back when we did the Mandela Effect episode, which kind of touches on what we're talking about tonight, uh, I did the old Art Bell intro shtick, and it was really difficult to find, like, you know, ones that hadn't been modified or paraphrased. So that was, uh, but yeah, no, that's, uh, <laughs> I, I, it's time we do that. Yes, yes, yes. For the for the homage the show was originally intended, we're actually going to get that done. All right. So anyway, so as um, nice. since I actually did put a title on this one tonight, as you as you as you can see on in the chat, it's actually called "People Out of Time" because that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. Some just some some weird experiences with time travel, people out of yeah, just 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 in general. So uh, let's see. Make it, see, I'm still not used to the idea that I can actually open tabs and stuff while I'm producing because that, <laughs> that used to make my old computer crash. So it's like PTSD every time I open a tab. I was like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? I've done it like 12 times to the test. It's still working. All right. Please don't. Don't go blue. Oh, dude, it, it was bad because I, I think it was when I was on the yeah, air. Yeah, so. It was when I was on the air with you last night, like in the middle of playing one of the bumpers, it just froze. And I was like. Yeah, I swear, I had a full-on PTSD moment. I kept waiting for the blue screen of death, and I'm like, wait a minute, different machine. And then it found it again. So I was like, thank God. <laughs> All right, so anyway. All right. 
Enough about my radio stress. Yeah, so not just people out of time, but people who may be from another dimension, parallel dimensions, parallel Earths. I mean, we've got we've got the whole smorgasbord of people who aren't where they're supposed to be. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, at this point, we do have quite a few different topics, and, and this one... I just actually really started reading this one. I've kind of skimmed over a few of the other ones. This one was actually one that I just started really got, kind of getting into. This is the one that you said you wanted to open with. So this is the mystery of yeah. the Green Children of Wolpit. It's just- yeah, sometime in the uh, mid to late 1100s in the uh, English town of Wolpit, uh, Wolpit in Suffolk, England, uh, two children... A boy and a girl showed up speaking in an unknown tongue, wearing strange clothing, and only ate raw beans. Oh, and their skin was green. So they were found in the wolf trapping pits, um, after which the town is named. Uh, and the pits were designed to lure and ensnare wild wolves, because this was a sheep town that made wool. And um, the, the two children were found in it by a reaper. And they brought them to town. Um, Sir Richard uh, Declain gave them a home. And over time, they lost their greenish color and he started to eat normal food. But it uh, wasn't long after that, the boy became depressed and sickly and died. And the sister lived on for quite a while. So, yeah, and apparently at some point when she learned to speak English... She started relaying the story of an underground homeland called St. Martin's Land, where everything was green and it was always twilight. According to the girl, the boy was her brother. In one version of the story, she said that the siblings had been herding their father's cattle when they heard loud noises and suddenly found themselves at the bottom of, of, the, of a wolf pit. An alternate report states that the children had followed the herd into a cave and had become disoriented. The sound of bells led them out, but when they emerged from the cavern, they did so in a woolpit rather than St. Martin's Land. Um, and then it goes on to talk about, uh, the story goes on to talk about historians and that basically they've stitched together a narrative regarding the woolpit scenario with reports um, from Ralph Cogshill uh, and William Newburn. Um, although neither man had first-hand experiences with the Green Children and their second-hand retellings differ in their details, the overall story is the same. Uh, Ralph was the sixth abbot of Cockshell, who lived in a nearby county and had repeatedly heard the story from Richard uh, Decane himself. I think haven't we we've touched on this story before? This is starting to sound familiar from some of these names. I think we've glanced over this one before, and it, it it's it's kind of tied into something else that we've we- talked about before. I believe in our time travel, the time travel primer we did, we uh, touched on a lot of these stories, but now we have the ability to go in a little bit deeper. It's like then we were just rattling off names. Yeah. So, yeah, I just I just started when I started reading the names, I was like, wait a minute, I remember some of this story. Cause I, so I know we had talked about it before. Um, so this, if, if it goes on to explain that if the story is based on actual events, there are a few plausible explanations for the green tint of the children's skin. One theory is that the children had arsenic poisoning. The story goes that their caretaker, an earl from Norfolk, left them to die in a forest near the uh, Norfolk-Suffolk border. Another more likely and less depressing culprit is... Uh, I can't ever pronounce this word. 
chlorosis, chlorosis, I think is what it says, a type of iron deficiency spawned from malnutrition that leads to a greenish complexion. Yet another, and perhaps the most likely theory, postulates that they were the children of Flemish immigrants who were persecuted and killed, possibly in the Battle of Fornham in 1173. Fornham St. Martin was a nearby village and separated from Woolpit by a river, and just a few miles from Bury Street, Edmonds, where loud bells often chimed, it's possible that the children had been orphaned, suffered a poor diet while lost and on their own, and eventually made their way to Woolpit from Fornham St. Martin by following the clanging bells. Whatever the children's origin, the sister eventually became integrated in English society. She was baptized and allegedly later married a man at King's Lynn, possibly an ambassador of Henry II. Though conflicting reports say she became rather loose and wanton in her conduct, Mm. she may have taken the name Agnes Barr, although, as with most things in the story of the Green Children, there's simply no definitive evidence one way or the other. Is is there there a Kmart there at that time? I don't know, but she might have been running the blue light. Sorry, okay. I don't know. I, I forgot my own joke. Oh no! I thought you. I thought you were trying to make a joke about a blue light special. I, I was just going to run with it. <laughs> green, green skin, blue light, red light. Roxanne. Oh my bad. <laughs> I was thinking the Stan Ridgeway uh, red light, green light. Anyway, or red light, blue light, whatever it was. I don't remember. I'm having a hell of a time with my memory tonight. I was thinking of Eddie Murphy, 48 hours, singing it in the jail cell. Right. <laughs> anyway. Wherever we got there, we all thought the same thing. Pretty much. Now, there's, okay, in, in, this, in this next story, there's a uh, picture of the Sphinx that was used during Warehouse 13. It's just freaking me out because I can hear the Warehouse 13 theme music in the background. So, oh, that is funny. <laughs> Yeah. Well, while we're on that, April 5th of 1851 mentions a peculiar time travel story of a Jafar Voren, also known as Joseph Voren, who was found wandering and disorientated around a small vi- around a, in a small village around Frankfurt, Germany. He had no idea who he was, where he was, how he arrived there. And from his broken German, the traveler was speaking and writing in two different unknown languages called Gorexian and a Barmain. According to this man, he was from a country called Laxaria, situated in a very well-known portion of the world called Scaria, that was separated from Europe by a vast ocean. Now, he claimed that he was traveling to Europe ski- seeking his long-lost brother, but he suffered a shipwreck along the voyage exactly where he didn't know, nor did he know the route on the shore of any global map. He later said that his, uh, you know, in conversing with him, that his religion was similar to Christian in form and doctrine, and that is called Ips- Ipsathian. Something like that. He showed considerable uh, share of geographical knowledge that he inherited from his race, 
and the five great sections of the earth called Sicaria, Aflar, Astaria, Oslar, and Eplar. Why do I feel like we're like, yeah, I don't know. This reminds me of what was that that um, I, Star Trek spoof? Just um, made up a whole bunch of words there. I don't, it reminds me of. Um, Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. I can't. For, uh, sorry, Quest or, uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, that's the one I was looking for. By Graptar's hammer, you will be avenged. I don't know. That's what that reminded me of. I think that's what that was. Anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. I feel like I was picking up a lot of words there. But, you know, um, you know, whether he was an imposter, you know, who tricked the villagers or, you know, he that was really um, he was really a lost time traveler. uh from it's still a mystery, and I, all that's known is that he did exist at the time, and there was a lot of contemporary writings about him in the village near Prepper. Yeah, that was a little weird, because um, it literally feels like this was like something that somebody come up with from Saturday Night Life. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> seems seems a little weird. Yeah, this one. This is one you know what prompted me to do the you know to find the topic of this show is a lot of people were asking. I I re-listened to our time traveler um, episode not long ago, and a lot of people were asking. We didn't have the story in our time travel episode of the man from Tarid. And I was shocked that we neglected on that that we neglected that one. Now this one, this story, if true, actually gives evidence of parallel universes. So what? Are you serious? Just playing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So so this one, the story of the man from Torrid, is a man showed up at <clears throat> a Japanese airport in the uh, mid fifties. And while discussing with the immigration officials at the airport, he shows them a passport that says that he's from a country called Tarid that is in the Pyrenees Mountains between Spain and France and exactly where the principality of Andalusia is or Andorra is, except there is no place called Tarid there. Yeah, I was gonna say I've ne- I've never heard of this place called Torrid. I mean, it apparently, um, so is uh, there are many people that have claimed the story was true, but the crux of the problem remains, as you've just said, uh, the only the area that they're referring to, there's no record of a country by that name of Torrid either today or during the proposed period from the time when the incident took place, i.e., the 1950s. So the story ends with the man disappearing. Forever, a day after arriving in Japan. Moreover, all of his personal documents, such as his passport, driver's license, also conveniently disappeared, thus making the strange story unsolvable. 
And so then it goes now on. Now you have to wonder with that story, the thing that is left out in a lot of the tellings is that the man was put in a hotel by the Japanese customs officials. That's where he disappeared from. All of his belongings, his passport, and everything else were still at the airport at customs when they disappeared as well. Maybe that explains why nobody has any record of the place. Maybe he did something to change the timeline and he vanished. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, and he insisted that his country had been there for a thousand years. Now, one of the ancient names of Andorra is Torrid. So we are talking about a world in which it never became Andorra. Apparently, which is, which is interesting because I actually, but yeah, I mean, it just kind of makes you wonder if, especially because it's one thing if he disappeared and he had all this stuff with him, because, you know, maybe he fired up the time machine, went back home. But if none of his stuff was, was with him and even all of that disappeared, kind of makes you wonder if he inadvertently changed something somehow, depending on where he was from and whether he claims to have been from the, fu- the future or the past. Because, I don't know, it just seems a little weird that everything disappeared. Or just those pop in, pop out, you know, popped into our timeline, didn't really know what was going on, and then popped back into his. But yeah, this one, um, this is just, it's it's the strangest story. And what's weird is that I actually have a connection to the story and the fact that um, when we went to Europe, my mom and I went or going to go to Andorra while my dad was... um, pigeon hunting in Spain, it, it got rainy and it all fell apart. But yeah, we were intending to go up to Andorra when we were there. So that was it just, uh, it, the story just jumps out at me. Yeah. I just, there too. A friend of mine said that he went skiing in Andorra. So, so uh, could this be one of the first um, Mandela effects? I not or really, really. it could be CERN related. Yeah, it could be CERN related. They, they, didn't they start playing around with stuff in the fifties? That might explain a few things. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, if you get into the post Philadelphia experiment, pre CERN, yeah, yeah, that that could yeah, be- and what if from the future? So I, I guess the most interesting thing is, you know, they, they talk about the man. He was described as a Caucasian-looking uh, with a beard, and his primary language is said to have been French. It has been purported that he spoke Japanese and many other languages as well. So far, there's nothing extraordinary to note, except for the fact that apparently he's from a country that never actually existed. Um, the sequence of events uh, then differs according to which version of the story one encounters. In one version, the man hands over his passport to be stamped, and the Japanese immigration office notices something strange. Uh, whilst the passport looked authentic, the country where it was issued, Torrid, was recognized as non-existent. And then, of course, there's the other version of the story we already touched on, where they take him into custody, take all of his stuff, and then basically he and his stuff disappear. Nobody really ever knows what happens. It's just, it's all just so weird. Yeah, and then it's, yeah, it's, uh, 
This one always, you know, we talked early on, you know, when, sometimes stories just, you know, when telling them make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. And that's when I kind of want to, I give it a bit more credibility than those that don't. And this is one of those stories. Yeah, I just, it, it kind of really feels like maybe somehow he's, I mean, especially with, you know, him pointing to an area on the map where, you know, it's the, the country's named one name and he's insisting that, you know, that's been where my country's been for the last thousand years, that kind of sounds like a Sliders moment to me. Where, you know... Yeah. Like one of the... And, and it's just it's just one of those subtle things, like in the, the first episode of Sliders, when he doesn't realize at first that he's actually jumped until he's driving down the road and he's stopping at red lights and everybody's passing him and they're honking at him because in that universe, red means go and green means stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just... I don't know, it just kind of seems like it might be one of those things where maybe he managed to slide over for a minute and slide back. Who knows? Yeah, whether intentional or not. There's actually some pretty cool art about that on the, the thing, too. It's actually got him, like, it looks like the dude's walking with, a, it almost looks like a Doctor Who-style kind of thing without the TARDIS. Uh, trench coat, uh, white yeah. hat, got like a suitcase or something walking through what appears to be a wormhole. That's kind of cool looking. Yeah, I mean, you know, your normal fifty, your normal fifties traveler back when we used to wear suits on planes, <laughs> and uh, dude, they used to get dressed up for everything back in the day. You got dressed up for dinner. You got <laughs> dressed up when you got on a plane. You got dressed up when you got in a car. <laughs> now we're just like, just don't look. I don't care. Just don't judge me as long as I have socks and shoes on. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I can cover the gravy seal with the tie. So. Yeah, this one. Okay, talking about stories that made the hair on my neck stand up. Here's one, and this is uh, this one is the story of Jerome of Sandy Cove. And this is one I wish uh, um, another friend of mine was around. Uh, he's from Canada and in the Nova Scotia area, and he would be able to fill us in more on this. But the story is of a man who was discovered on a beach in Nova Scotia in 1863 by an eight-year-old boy walking on the beach of Sandy Cove. He met a man who was suffering from cold and exposure and didn't have legs. The boy's family took the legless man home, and in the village of Digby Neck, they learned he didn't speak English at all. And the townspeople named him Jerome after he murmured something that sounded like that might have been his name. Um, not only did he not speak English, he didn't speak words at all. He just growled at people and, you know, looked at them and acted, you know, made, made the sounds of a dog. When he was examined, it turned out that his amputations were fresh, so much so that they still had dressings on them and hadn't yet healed. And it was done by a skilled surgeon and not just as a matter of some accident. Uh, after a while, the people, the mostly Baptist people of Digby Neck, somehow decided that Jerome might be Catholic, mostly because of his Mediterranean appearance, and they shipped him off to a nearby Acadian community of Medigan, uh, where he was taken in by a Corsican Canadian uh, polygot who tried speaking French with him, Latin, Italian, Spanish, and Jerome didn't speak any of those languages either. Or he didn't want to. He kept him around for se- Was that? Or he didn't want to. He's like, I'm not talking to you fuckers. <laughs> right. Somebody cut my legs off and tossed me in the ocean. I'm not talking to I, I have trust issues right now. Thank you very much. 
But uh, Nikolai kept him uh, for seven years with his wife and his stepdaughter, Madeline, who Madeline was – Jerome was a favorite of Madeline's. And during his time in Medigan, the government uh, was notified of him, and they gave a $2 a week stipend to take care of Jerome. And uh, he lived there for quite a while. Then um, after Jerome, or after Nikolai's wife died, they shipped him off. Another family in nearby St. Alphonse, Nova Scotia, where he spent the rest of his life allowing the family to uh, collect admission from onlookers to view him and then top of the $2 that he made. And he died after almost 50 years of being found on the beach, and nobody ever found out who he was. Yeah, died in 1912, 50 years after being found. And not only did nobody ever figure out who he was, despite the fact that the dude lived with a linguist, he never learned to do anything more than grunt and growl. That just seems a little, I mean, that just, I don't know. Seems, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. A little weird. Like I said, cut off my legs and toss me in the ocean. I, I'm going to get some trust issues. Yes, uh, some of the theories was that he was... Um, the amputations were part of a punishment for being mute for being a mutineer that he was a sailor and um others say that uh <laughs> he was an heir to a fortune who was mutilated usurped and disposed of but um yeah but the the but nobody ever figured out yeah jeff maybe a lobotomy too nobody knows but just uh to this day, his identity is still completely unknown. Yeah, I, well, I, and one of the little interesting side notes that I that I thought was funny. Um, apparently, dude is like a folk hero in Nova Scotia. They have like all kinds of folk songs written about dude. I thought that was when I read that. I was like, that's kind yeah. of funny. That you know, I, sure. <laughs> yeah, but you know that happens a lot. Yeah, it's like you know. Mary Chapin Carpenter has a song called John Doe Number 24, and that's about a deaf teenager who was found wandering around the streets of Jacksonville, Illinois. He was unable to speak or sign or communicate at all, and he the only thing he could do was write the name of Lewis. So, yeah, it seems like you know, unknown people become um, folk heroes. Yeah, seems to be kind of a recurring theme. I, I, well, I mean, it is Nova Scotia. What else do they have to be excited about? <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> you're, an, you're an island on the Labrador coast. Good luck. So, sorry. did you want to go to break? Come sorry. back with with yeah. some more. Or? Yeah, might as well. My apologies to anyone who might be listening from Nova Scotia, since we do have a worldwide audience. Okay, not really, not really. That sorry. All right. So on that note, we are going to yeah. take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, segment two of the show coming right back at you. This is the Juxtaposition Show. I'm Rick Robinson. He's Ordy Packer. We'll be right back. Am I, though? Well, you're not Dan. You know that much, because Dan's not real. The way that things have been, oh, Maybe Dan's from Carolina. Second thing, second, don't you tell me what you think that I can be. He is from the Parallel Universe. Remember, we already blamed CERN for his disappearance, like, four shows ago. <laughs> I was broken. 
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. From a young age, taking my soak into the masses, writing my poems for the few that look at me, took me, shook me, feeling me, singing from heartache, from the pain, taking my message from the Everyone loves liberty. Our rights come from God, not the government. So why are you letting other people tell you what's best for your health care? Exercise your freedom with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a community of people who voluntarily share one another's medical costs. Liberty HealthShare is founded on the idea that most people truly want to help one another. Healthcare sharing allows members to do just that as a true community that supports one another in times of need. Liberty believes people should make decisions for themselves and their families. Members are able to take back the freedom to make their own decisions about their health care. Freedom from guilt or doubt about how your money is used. You have the freedom to direct your health care, not to be dictated to by bureaucrats. Stop letting others tell you what to do and join a community of like-minded people. Exercise your freedom. Join Liberty HealthShare and take back the control of your health care while helping those around you. Call Liberty at 855-58-LIBERTY. Again, that's 855-58-L-I-B-E-R-T-Y for more information. Or you can check them out at libertyhealthshare.org. Again, that's libertyhealthshare.org. My son was in the Army back during Desert Storm, but even then he wanted an MBA. He looked at a dozen schools, but only one offered the online education and flexibility he needed while he was in a tent in Iraq, Grantham University. Turns out that Grantham's been delivering affordable, relevant college and advanced degrees for over 65 years. Heck, if they can deliver a quality education to a soldier in a tent overseas, Think about the flexibility Grantham can offer you so you can earn your degree, too. It doesn't matter how complicated or full your life is. If getting a degree is on your bucket list, you'll want to do what my son did. You'll want to call Grantham. Find out how easy it is to get started on your education so you can check that college degree off your bucket list. Call Grantham right now. 800-910-1370. That's 800-910-1370. Flexible. Affordable. Relevant. Call 800-910-1370. 
Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news for you. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. Healthy Man allows you to save up to $500 on Viagra. Why pay U.S. pharmacy prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get Viagra for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 40 Viagra pills for only $99. This can cost as much as $600 at your local pharmacy. You can't afford not to call us. If you want Viagra at the lowest prices, never pay $15 of pill pharmacy prices again. Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 1-800-516-7602 today and save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast, easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 1-800-516-7602 to take your call right now. Call 1-800-516-7602. That's 1-800-516-7602. Again, 1-800-516-7602. Attention business owners and independent contractors. This is a money-saving message from Tax Mediation Services. If your business owes $20,000 or more in taxes, we can help you today, right now. Listen, dealing with the IRS is no picnic. It's an intimidating and extremely stressful process, and you don't want to go it alone. Our attorneys know every law, every tax break, and every possible opportunity to help you resolve and reduce your tax debt. And if you owe more than $20,000, you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-783-0810 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-783-0810. Again, that's 800-783-0810. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, again, this is Juxtaposition. I'm one half of the crew, Mr. Rick Robinson. He's the other half, Mr. Ordy Packard, or Izzy, and uh, we're live. Welcome back. Segment two coming at you now. We're going to keep our discussion going for the folks that are just maybe out of time, maybe in the wrong place, maybe from a different dimension, and we're going to continue now with Mashur Soshani. Um also known as Shoshani, Jewish teacher M. Shoshani is best known for his distinguished students, one of whom was Nobel Prize winning author Ellie Weissel. And not his own works, but that's mostly because he fervently guarded the secret of his identity for his entire life. Shoshani disheveled uh, medicant-esque appearances often mentioned in accounts of his life. Uh, Weissel wrote that Shoshani was dirty, hairy, and looked like a hobo turned clown or clown playing hobo. While according to another pupil, the Lithuanian French philosopher Emmanuel Levinas, um, his external appearance was quite unpleasant. Some say even repugnant, but he left a strong impression on his students who called him a master of philosophy, mathematics, and the Talmud. Uh, Both men credit him with being one of their most influential teachers ever. 
Extremely little is known about Shoshone. Yeah. It, oh, go ahead. Good. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. There. Yeah, I, I was just, just going to say, yeah, this guy just kind of turned up. You know, right after World War II, some time between 47 and 52, as a rabbi in Paris. Then he vanished for several years again, popped up in Israel for a while. Uh, then he was back in Paris for a little bit, then down into South America, where he eventually died in um, uh, Uruguay. And nobody knew his real name. Uh, a lot of pe- Everybody thought that Shoshani was a, a nickname. Um, based off the biblical city of Shushan, now in Iran, but n- nobody knows why people started calling him that either. He's just, he, he has no past, um, and nobody knew anything about him except for he was this really influential teacher among Jewish philosophers and um, you know, just ed- educators. And he was really well known. But not before 1947. He has no history. Yeah. yeah. Nobody knows who he was. Hey, it's, just, it's just weird to think about the, the fact that they're not even... They're like, we don't even know if that was his name. We're pretty sure that was a nickname. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't know what to call him. We just... Yeah, he's just... And, I mean, to to be around that many people, I mean, to be an educator and to, you know, to be around that many people and for so much of so much of his life and, you know, and all the travel and everything and just not have, you know, any record of him whatsoever. Nobody's saying, Oh, Hey, I knew that kid or I knew a guy that looked like that. Or that's kind of like my husband or what, you know, none of that. I mean, it's just unheard of. And I mean, even after world war two, that's unheard of. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if something like that were to happen today? Some dude is like, you know, shaping minds and, you know, really like being influential with people and they don't even know who he is. People would lose right. their minds. Or where he came from. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who is this man? You know, it, of course, then you leave it to uh, 4chan or Reddit and then eight seconds they'll have his birth certificate. <laughs> That's probably pretty true. Oh. And you scams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't 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 I keep saying it, man. Don't underestimate the crowdsource autism that is the internet. So while we're talking about World War II, here's another one in four boys were playing in the Hagley Wood outside of Scarbridge, England, when they made a grim discovery of a human skull in the hollow trunk of a witch hazel tree. That doesn't seem ominous at all. No, I, I mean, you know, d- during the war, this was in 1943. You know, during the war, pe- a lot of people disappeared most of the time. You know, a lot of times on purpose too. But the skeleton of a middle-aged woman, along with some bits of her clothing, a shoe, a cheap wedding ring, and nearby a severed hand that was buried, um, just appeared one day in the hollowed out trunk of a witch hazel tree and it was surmised that she was stuffed in the tree while she was still warm because the way she was shoved in there rigor mortis would have prevented it um she was never identified it was approximate that her age was 35 and her height was five foot 
and searching the 3,000 missing persons cases of the time in 1943 did no good. Yeah, but the weirdest thing about it, okay, so that's fine. But the weird, that happens a lot. You know, murder is common and people get away with it. But what's really, really weird about it is sometime around 19, in around Christmas 1943, 1944, like a good Doctor Who episode in the uh, West Midlands town of Old Hill, graffiti started to show up about who put Lubella down the witch elm or who put or who put Bella in the witch elm. And this graffiti was showing up for 30 years. Yeah, that does seem like it's from a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mostly just because of Christmas Day, but yeah. So, but yeah, there. I mean, some people think that she may have been part of a Nazi spy ring. Go, uh, a person named Clarabella Dronkers, or uh, Clarabella Barrel, uh, who was in her thirties, but there wasn't enough information, and. Even, but the the real thing about it is the graffiti artist. And why did it start in 1940 around the area? And then in the 70s, it focused on one place, which was the Witchberry Obelisk in Birmingham. And from the 70s until 1999, the graffiti was always uh, spray painted there. In all caps, too. Yeah, in fact, let me hang on. I'll they, I'll drop this image in chat. They were using caps lock before there was caps lock, sort of. Right. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, I do that. What do you got? Uh well, it's the next one we have up is Casper Hauser, uh, but this one's kind of interesting. Yes. Uh. So, in May of 1828, a teenage boy in peasant clothes was found roaming the streets of what is now uh, Nuremberg, Germany, affecting such a helpless and confused air that passers-by stopped to assist him. He carried on him two letters, one from his caretaker, who said he had raised the boy from infancy and tutored him in reading, writing, and religion, but never allowed him to take a single step out of the house, the other from his mother, stating that he was born on April 30th, 1812, that his name was Caspar Hauser, and that his uh, calvaryman of a father had died. The letters were in the same handwriting. He was taken to the home of Captain von Wassing, where the only things he would say were that he wished to be a calvaryman, and his father was, as his father was, and horse, horse. If he were asked any further questions, he would burst into tears, and shout, don't know. When Hauser ended up in custody of the police, he was jailed as a vagrant in Nuremberg Castle. He said a little more. He claimed to have been held in a dark cell for as long as he could remember, with only a wool blanket, two wooden horses, and a toy dog, and fed nothing but bread and water. As such, he refused to eat any food that was given to him except for bread and water, displaying a special disgust for meat. He added that he never saw the face of his custodian, only that he'd occasionally drink bitter-tasting water and then wake to find that his hair and nails had been cut. As well, he seemed obsessed with horses, lighting up with joy after someone gave him a toy horse, petting it and talking to it. However, the boy seemed in good health, 
Climbing 90 steps up the tower to the jail cell, he didn't display any signs of rickets or other malnourishment that would have come along with being raised in a dungeon, as he claimed. He said he'd been taught to walk recently by a mysterious man with a blackened face who taught him the phrase, I want to be a cavalryman as my father was, in an old Bavarian dialect, but he had no idea what it meant. He said the same man was the one who dropped him off on the street in Nuremberg. Hauser was an object of great curiosity, and people began to visit him in his jail cell, including the city's mayor, who spent many hours talking with him. Rumors being, uh, began circulating that he was possibly nobility, maybe even one of the princes of the House of Baden. After two months, Hauser was released, and a, school ma- a schoolmaster, George uh, Dahmer, eventually took the boy into his home and began instructing him on writing, reading, and drawing, which Hauser showed a strong skill for especially for somebody who'd allegedly never had the occasion to practice. After about a year, Hauser started getting mysteriously injured. He was found one day in uh, Drummer's Cellar with a head wound, stating that he was attacked by a man in a hood who told him, you still have to die ere you leave the city of Nuremberg. He claimed it was the same man who took him to Nuremberg. He recognized the voice. This resulted in his being moved into the home of a municipal authority, About six months later, a pistol went off in Hauser's bedroom, and he was found with another bleeding head wound. He explained that he'd accidentally knocked the pistol from where it was hanging on the wall, and the problem was that the wound was pretty minor and certainly not consistent with a gunshot. The caretaker accused him of lying and sent him to the house of Baron von Tucher, who also complained of Casper's lies as well as his vanity. The boy continued to burn bridges as he was uh, shuttled around from different caretakers and some other kicked out from home after home after home after a few months. One patron wrote, Hauser is a smart, scheming codger, a rogue, a good-for-nothing that ought to be killed. In 1833, five days after a huge fight with another schoolmaster who'd taken the teen in at that time and then found out that he was a giant liar, Casper showed up with a serious chest wound. He claimed he was lured to the... Eisenbach Court Garden and a stranger had given him a bag and then stabbed him in the left breast. When police searched the boy, they came up with a violet purse containing a letter written in Spiegel, a script, which is uh, German mirror writing in English. And in English it read, Hauser will be able to tell you quite precisely how I look and from where I am. To save Hauser the effort, I want to tell you myself from where I come. I come, I come from the Bavarian border, on the river. I will even tell you the name MLO. Nobody believed him, this time saying that the wound, like the previous ones, was likely self-inflicted and he probably just punctured his chest more deeply than he'd meant to. The letter was also folded in a peculiar triangle shape that Hauser himself was known to use, and it contained some grammatical errors that were typically uh, congruent with his writing. They did say nothing, and they, they so they did nothing, and Hauser died from his wound three days later. He's buried in Anschbach, and epitaph reads, Here lies Kasper Hausen, enigma of his time. Mysteri- mysterious is death. Although historians seem to agree that Hauser was full of it, none of them ever figured out where he came from in the first place, and the idea that he was <laughs> a lost prince of Baden prevailed for over a century. Finally, in 1996, a blood sample of Hauser's was compared to samples from living members of the House Baden and no dice. So you weren't a prince after all, you jerk.
Right. Yeah, but I mean, that's still weird. Kid shows up wandering around town, you know, doesn't know anything about who he is, or at least says he doesn't, and, you know, um, can barely speak, doesn't eat anything but bread and water, and then just turns into the most, the biggest grifter. I mean, it, it's like Bill Crystal's story. Sorry, hey, dangerous hey, and close to politics. Hey, Never mind. Hey, you're about to break a rule, sir. Right. This one, this story, our last story of the evening. This one actually is another one that causes the hair to stick up on my neck. And it's not, okay, it, it's one thing to die shrouded in mystery, it's something else entirely to never. For nobody to ever know what your identity was in the first place. And this is the story of a man known as Green Boots. Now, how we got the name Green Boots, it's. It. Yeah. <laughs> Today he'd just be another Edgelord on Reddit. Yeah, that's right. He would be. So, okay, the story of Green Boots is. Um, at any given point, there's a couple hundred frozen bodies on Mount Everest of various people who have died while trying to climb up or trying to get back down. And the story of it, not only, you know, a lot of them will like be in a place where it is difficult for them to retrieve the body. But this one, Green Boots, actually became somewhat of a landmark is that uh, it was a corpse known for his green boots obviously by his name who was laying on his right side and his face was obscured from view and the body was there in t- from 2001 until 2014 when it disappeared and it was in his body was near a limestone cave and it actually became known as green boots cave and it even caused the death of another man named whose identity is known, David Sharp, who died in Green Boots Cave in 2006, laying there in a hypothermic state while two dozen other climbers passed by him thinking he was Green Boots so they, and was already dead. Therefore, they didn't stop to help him. But as mysteriously as he showed up in 2001 and 2014, he disappeared. Presumably, somebody went and got him and buried him, and his identity was never known. Yeah, that's not weird at all. I mean, you think about that. You're known as a landmark. Okay, turn left at Green Boots and then scale the next 5,000 feet. And coming from the north side, everybody could see his boots. Hey, 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 you passed green boots. You went too far. Yeah. (laughs) I said left at green boots. Dumbass. No, your other left. So, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it it just, I mean, you think about that. I mean, it's not, I mean, okay, a lot of people do scale Everest, but not like. So many of them that, you know, you'll lose track of somebody. It's like, God, Jim was just here. Him and his damn green boots. Where did he go? Dude, you and I both, though, there's like a whole side of Everest that's nothing but a bunch of human popsicles. Right. <laughs> Reminds me of that uh, Simpsons episode when he was eating the 
protein bars or whatever, the nutrient bars, and he goes to climb whatever peak and finds that frozen body that somebody else had gnawed on in the cave. <laughs> so, anyway, everything falls back to a special episode of The Simpsons. Well, until they made The Simpsons not fun anymore. Yeah, which was at the movie. Anybody who tells you there's a good episode after the Simpsons movie is lying to you. Yeah, I, I honestly have to admit, I haven't really watched it in a very long time. I mean, occasionally it'll be on like on local TV as background noise if I'm up late while I'm doing something else, but I, I don't know. It's like that's like that new show, Bob's Burgers. I've, I tried that one a bunch because like, back when I worked at um, Southwest, but it was when it first started running and everybody was talking about it. And I'm like, it's so funny. And I watched it and I'm like, yeah, I don't see it. <laughs> I just don't, I don't know. Okay, I, I, I got to tell you how to enjoy Bob's Burgers because it's done by the same uh, guy who does Archer, H. John Benjamin. So you watch the crossover episode where it's Archer as Bob, and then you can appreciate Bob's Burger because then you're like, oh, shit, that's Archer. Okay, so and then, uh Yeah. That's how you appreciate Bob's Burgers. Start with that, and then go and back watch it all from the beginning. Bob's Burgers is actually pretty good. I don't know. It just seems a little weird to me, but then again, I'm old. So. You're old. How many grandchildren so, do you have, sir? That's ours. What's that? How many grandchildren do you have, sir? I have entirely no. I had zero that I know about. That's kind of that's kind of my point. You may be chronologically older than me, <laughs> but I currently have three three of nine grandchildren in my home. So, yeah, yeah, and a dog. Yeah, a dog who's really really mad because her dad just came home and it's really really late. She doesn't like it when he does that, which is why she's barking at him right now. Where the hell have you been all day? Why haven't you come to see me? <sighs> anyway, anyway, so. We had talked about, we had lined up the uh, plan of uh, the juxtapositions. We did this one, and then we had a follow-up one. Oh, I think we were going to go, yeah, no, uh, Mandela Effect. We we're going to revisit that one. Yeah, we were going to uh, there was next. Jess was dropping some that just, I hated, but of, I mean, it just blew my mind. But of course, I can't reach them because I'm suspended from Twitter, and she DM'd them to me. So Jess, if you're listening, I don't see you in the chat. I think you may have dropped off or something. If you're listening later, please give me a couple of those Mandela effects. Because some of them were just downright creepy. Oh, I remember one of them. Uh, the cornucopia on Fruit of the Looms is gone. Never existed. That is a lie, sir. That is a lie. That is a lie. Yeah. So there's a little taste of a Mandela effect. And I know uh, Deej is going to be happy because she's still freaking out about the Black Tom uh, one that we did. Nice. So, yeah, all new Mandela effects or more Mandela effects as worlds collide and erase themselves from each other. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up worlds colliding because that's actually one of the theories of what's happening inside the CERN collider is part is minuscule particulate sized universes are actually exploding when those particles collide with each other. I read a paper. Yes. 
I read a paper on that. Yeah, you know, it's like the, the first minute black when, you know, you're in, you're, you know, we're just a galaxy inside a marble. Hmm, apparently we're about to have some thunderstorms. I probably should have watched some weather today. Oh, yeah, okay, no, here, here's two of them. It's like, you know, we've been talking about the last week. You know, Al mentioned it on uh, the other day with um, Bozo the Clown, Rowan Atkinson. Both recently dead. I could have thought that Bozo died years ago. And Rowan, too. JC, Dion Warlock, still alive. I remember her dying. I remember her dying right around the time of the Psychic Friends Network becoming the thing. So, yeah, we got a lot to do on the – a lot of Mandela effects that are just creeping in. Creeping in. But, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. That's my favorite topic. I mean, that's why I started doing Jux with you. Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite topics, too, because it's the one that gets everybody the most weirded out, which is which is kind of what I enjoy. I know that kind of makes me probably a little mean, but, you know. Yeah, and Rowan's still alive. I could have sworn he died. Who knows? But we will look into it some more. All right, well, believe it or not, my friend, that's going to just about do it. What else you got on the way out? We got about two minutes left. Um, yeah, I'm be back again on, uh, I'm still suspended, uh, appealing again. So if you want to find me, you can find me on Minds and MeWe. I haven't quite gotten back to parlor yet. I haven't decided if I want to. Um, and I'll be back in on uh, Monday, excuse me, with Politibunny on FUBAR and on the new rebranding of Cyber Wars called Cyber Chill. Lou and I will be back there on Monday as well. What do you got going on? Cyber chilling. All right. I'll be back tomorrow morning with uh, Stacy and I doing the uh, Daily Dose, and then that'll be it for me until um, probably Monday, because this next week I will definitely not be able to do a Rick Robinson show. But I do plan on bringing Off the Rails back starting Monday night, um, provided my voice will hold out. It, I actually am starting to feel better. I was able to get through most of my shift at work today without feeling like I was going to die, so I think the medicine's finally starting to work. Uh, but on that note, that is pretty much going to do us. And don't forget, we'll be here bright and early tomorrow morning for your daily dose. The best way to end your week is hanging out with us, as always. Uh, right here on KLR Radio. I mean, how, why would you leave? So many great shows, and I'm not... Right? I, I, the, most of the ones that are really good, I'm not even on. I'm saying. <laughs> All right. So on that note, we got to I'm go. not on them either. Yeah, well, you're everywhere. When you're not behind Circle K. Pretty, pretty sure there's been a couple times. Kind of sounded like you were phoning it in. I'm pretty sure you might have been behind a circle gate. Just saying. All right. Well, you know. We're going to get out of here, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday night. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, Stacy and I will be back first thing tomorrow morning to kick your day off KLR Radio style on the Friday edition of The Daily Dose. I'm Rick. He's already. Dan's not real. And we're out. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 